Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 247 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? You know, I'm, I am I apologize to those out there listening, if you're on Mixlr or uh, if you're hearing this afterward. We did have some weird adjustments on the audio, so I'm uh, I'm trying to tweak those a little bit. So if, if you hear some cracking or popping or, or, some, or, or a little too high, peaks I'm, I'm trying to make some adjustments live so i apologize <laughs> i apologize uh also i'm i'm feeling better good. i would say that uh, good. it's been <sighs> covid's terrible this was my first bout uh for those who are unaware who are not on our discord or maybe missed it uh the reason why last episode didn't happen was because of uh, the fact that i got covid uh so not this past friday but the friday before my wife came home uh sick and mm-hmm. immediately like that e- that evening we tested and she came back positive um and i had been feeling a little off mm-hmm. but really didn't notice anything by saturday she was full on covid and so we had sequestered her immediately that night because i didn't know if i was sick um or anything like that and then by uh we let's see by sunday i was sick yeah and it was yeah. bad and so i had to wait till monday to get my uh my medication uh but uh, it was a rough week to say the least we both took the week off we we every day was just another exhausting snot fest basically of mm. of, of, of of fevers and just exhaustion and grumpiness um, I think the only good thing that came out of all of it was Pal World came out. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so we could basically just forget ourselves into it for a while. Uh, yeah, and yeah. like the first the first few hours of that game is still a blur in my mind. Um But we came out of it pretty pretty well, actually, even with our our, uh, our vaccinations and everything like that. I think we we turned it around pretty quick because by Saturday, Vicky was was fine in comparison to me. Well, I, I think, was still I slowly by, coming by out. Like, by, like, Thursday, like, you, Wednesday, you were like, there's no way in hell the show is happening tonight. No, I was like, no. okay, do you want to try again tomorrow? And you were like, no. There was a long pause, and you were like, no, just cancel it altogether. And I was yeah. like, all right, yeah, no, no pressure then. And you yeah. can just, you know, I think by Thursday, you were... We we probably could have gotten you to limp through the show, but you would have limped through it. Yeah, and and I think and the, that's no way to do the show, you know. No, and 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 I I would say even at that point, I I was not cognitively there. I would have made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, even my work right now, I I'm not at the level where I should be. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm used to doing, you know, three or four things simultaneously in my job mm-hmm. uh, because I work on multiple servers and I'm constantly updating something and running a test on another thing while reviewing something else. And I, I do keep notes of what I'm doing in each of those things so that I don't, you know, miss a step or miss a beat, but it's not hard for me. It's easy right now. It's hard for me to keep a hard track on a task, let alone two. Yeah, I and that. when people start communicating with me, I, I have to take a note before I even talk to them mm-hmm. so that I don't lose where I'm at because I literally feel like I'm slightly asleep almost mm-hmm. mentally. Um, and it's it's a challenge. It's really hard. Say, it, sounds like, it sounds like you're describing what it's like to have ADHD. I'm, I, I can't say. I don't know, yeah. but I will say that it is uh, the the term that has been given to me a few times is brain fog, mm-hmm. and I totally agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
but it's it's nice to be on the relative other side of it. I still have a cough. I still have a lot of drainage that's going on. Oh yeah, you, that's, um, yeah. I remember when I, when I when I got COVID, it was it took me like two weeks or something. I thought to uh, to like actually get the crud out. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I I was coughing for that entire time and just you know drainage and all that jazz. But uh, uh, but yeah, I mean the, the fever and stuff that only lasted like two three days or whatever. So yeah. So. Either way though, I'm glad you and you and Vicky are both on the mend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, it, I feel like another week and I, I should be back to quasi normal for winter, you know? Right, um, right. But that's, that's about where I'm at right now. So I apologize. I'm going to try and do my best to not cough directly into this microphone accidentally, uh, and deafen all of you. But, uh, there might be times when I'll need to, to kind of lean off for a little bit here, but, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, we, we obviously didn't have any sessions happen, uh, Funny enough, I'll throw this one down. Um, I ended up, I did end up talking to my therapist because she's back around, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Is there anything I can help you with?" And I'm like, "You can keep me honest about running running a game next month." And she's like, "Okay." I'm like, "I need to get back to being creative, and I put this shit off for too long, and I said I was going to do it this year." And she's like, "Okay, I'll stay on top of you about that." Yeah. So, so yeah. So I've, I'm, I am. Uh, I'm heavily looking at uh, how I'm going to run my tiny D6 uh, tiny taverns cool, cool, uh, cool. and getting that prepared so that because uh, I wanted to have something out by uh, February 1st and uh, that's tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how's it going? Uh, I don't think I'll have it readied to be released then because my biggest thing was like, how do I release it to the group of people and which group do I release it to? In you, what can format? Re- you can release it completely unfinished. Just call it early access. Charge us 30 bucks for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. That's so true. That's so true. And once you made your money, you never have to finish it. That's true. I can keep all the bugs just where they're yeah, at. Exactly. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's my goal for the next uh, week. Hopefully by next uh, uh, next show, I'll actually have that uh, information out for mm-hmm. what what uh, what my overall plans there are. So yeah, yeah. And then we've got uh, mouse card coming up. Mouse card coming up. Yeah. Yep. So that's uh, that's definitely on the list. My, so. my my game's been on hold for a while. I've been uh, I've been really struggling this winter. Yeah. Like honestly, I've been I've, like me- mentally, I've been at like a five. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. And it's been everything I can do to just ring serot- enough serotonin out to like not slip down into the threes and fours. You know. No, I get it. I and get it. So my my creativity is just is just completely dead. I haven't I haven't painted. Anything mm-hmm, no. uh, for for several months. I haven't like it's just been like occasional video games, and even like as much as I've been like on Monster Hunter. And this is kind of how I realized I was really starting to get depressed. Was uh, I was like, eh, I don't want to play Monster Hunter. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't sound fun to me right now. I'm like, oh wow, yeah. Oh, I've hit that point where none of my hobbies feel good. Yeah. Okay. No, I get you. So yeah, it's it's just been <laughs> yeah yes, Knox in the box, Sarah Tonin, yes. <laughs> or as I like to call it, Tonin. Tonin. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, no, I get it. I totally get it. But so. uh, you know, but uh, but I'm 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 getting by. You yeah. know, yeah. I'm, I just I just I don't have I don't have the creativity in me to get my game going again. And I feel that. Um. But I've got good friends around me. We do we do our, our, our occasional video gaming and stuff like that. Like you said, we've been playing Pal World and whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. We picked up Enshrouded. Uh, there's an Arma three server that I that I'd gotten onto that's mm-hmm. uh, running a damn near constant Anastasi mod. Yes, um, which is uh, the the game mode that we usually play on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, 
and uh, I've been I've been eyeballing uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Oh, really? I've been re- like so. Flight Simulator has always been like a thing that I've always wanted to like get into and do and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, little known fact about me: I almost joined the Air Force back in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just I just didn't like. There, even back then, uh, growing up in a in a, in a right wing household, I, I I there was still a part of me that was like, I don't know if I want to kill people for a living, you know. No, I'm I'm I understand that statement. Like, and, I wanted to be an Apache pilot. That was like one of the cool. Like, I I love planes. I yeah, loved all kinds. Yeah. Of, like, I followed the whole X series. Like, I was excited when the new X series craft got unveiled just the other day. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Love every moment of that. It was it was a great reveal. Like, yeah, they did it. Yeah. Like they did it justice, and I can't wait to see that thing. Or let me rephrase that. I can't way to possibly maybe hear it clap when it flies over michigan (laughs) and they they do the audio test here uh because i'm excited that we won't have a sonic boom like that's really cool to me Mm -hmm. um because the x programs has been me i was a chuck yeager person like i i played chuck yeager's uh flight simulator oh yeah yeah like into the ground it was a fa-18 hornet simulator that was that was my first one played that played apache gunship so all that stuff was in my deck of things that i played Uh, and then and then we got we got uh, all these years later we get into arma 3 mills you know military Mm -hmm. simulators and uh uh, i'm uh, avid about we we usually let another friend fly uh, fly close air support because he's Mm -hmm. better at it than i am He, he is very good at it but uh but Man, if I'm not a little envious, you know. No, I'm I'm with you. And with you. Uh, I definitely like to do it from time to time, and and I'm I'm okay at it. I'm okay at it, and I like I like getting the practice in. And uh, no, it's good. It's good. It's fun. Uh, so I I like I've been dusting off my my joystick and stuff at like that, trying mm-hmm. to get some practice in on flying helicopters with it and whatnot. But yeah. Uh, the yeah, and then I started looking at Microsoft Flight Simulator, and I was like, you know, what if like. Mm-hmm. What if I got a three monitor setup? I've got a, I've got a head tracker, you know. You, you actually have a I've, perfect. I've got a, I've it. got a setup for it. I could I could do it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, short of that, going straight to DCS and learning how to actually fly an F fifteen. But I I don't know. Yeah, D, DCS. Yeah, man, you gotta get a you gotta get a crawl before you can walk, and you gotta walk before you can run, man. I I bought my uh, my nephew a uh, the F sixteen controls. Oh yeah. The, the like GBH or whatever, like the super ones. Like, yeah, yeah. All metal, like it's. They are badass controllers. Man, those yeah, those those controllers are so so shiny. I love them so much. And he loves it. He yep. absolutely loves it. Yep. Uh, all right. Anyways, we, have a show. we should we, <laughs> we should we should stop rambling about. We're ten simulators. minutes into the hour, and we, we are haven't ten even... minutes into the hour. We haven't even said anything about role playing. Uh, all right. So what are we talking about tonight? Um. So a a, a thing that longtime listeners of the show will hear me say frequently mm-hmm. is that games teach you how to play them yes and i know i've explained that premise i usually do when i when i say it Mm -hmm, um and mm -hmm. you know it's usually a living example of when i'm when i'm saying it in situ but we kind of wanted to devote a show to just talking about kind of a deeper dive of what what ways that games teach us how to play them um and that's not only from an implicit standpoint, but from an explicit standpoint. I mean, yeah. sometimes there are it's sometimes it's not subtext. Sometimes no. it's literally text of like, yes, this game is intended to blah, right? Yeah. So we kind of wanted to talk about the especially the implicit ways. Yeah. How to look for the implicit ways that a game will show you what it wants you to be doing with its rule systems Mm -hmm. and what sort of effect it's trying to give you with that. Yeah. Before we kind of step into that, I, 
I want to frame things a little bit because we, we there was kind of a nice discussion that was happening in, in the Discord with uh, with myself and one of our Discord members um, about the fact that it's uh, that role playing games as a whole have evolved a lot. Number one, uh, in the way that they've presented their rules, we've seen that in just um, different game systems as we've watched as we've reviewed them over the years, mm-hmm. um, both narrative and. Uh, tactical games, uh, game systems, um, all kind of have have different presentations uh, that they use that teach you different aspects of how they are meant to be played. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's vastly different from what things, were, excuse me, what things were like back even in the early '80s and early '90s when uh, when we had basically the renaissance, the first renaissance of, of gaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, where yeah. we moved from what we knew to be D and D and chainmail and and that style of gameplay to this D twenty and beyond, uh, and what that looked like and how it evolved the way we looked at the game aspect of role playing games. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we're talking about the game teaching you how it's meant to be played we're moving beyond the mechanics and structure to uh, and structure of the play itself to what the feeling is how how the interaction happens at the table right what informs the player's choices what what, what makes certain choices feel like good choices and feel like bad choices yeah within within that game system you know and and not even to say what the setting is but just the way the story should move and progress. And again, in some cases right now in, in uh, a lot of the cases, it's, it's quite explicit, mm-hmm. uh, but there's still quite, you know, when you look at a game system, you will often find that it's implicitly kind of hidden between facts. Sure. All, all, all game systems implicitly teach you, you know, it's just a matter of knowing what to look for. Yeah. So when we're talking about implicit, uh, we're talking about the indirect way that it indicates things should be done. Right. What does it imply? Yes. What, what are we, what are we saying when we talk about the rules in this light? Yeah. And this is usually what I'm telling you. It's, it's implicit teaching that I'm usually talking about when I say games teach you how to how to play them. Obviously game books teach you how to play the game, you know, but like, what is it really saying about it? Yeah. Um, what's, what is the experience supposed to be like? Like, Mm -hmm. Not all books are great at it, and oftentimes we have to look at Let's Plays to see the flavor yeah. of, of how the game should be impacted and played. Um, and, and it is, <laughs> I will flat out say, not all rule systems are created equally because you're not, not everyone reads them the same way. Mm-hmm. I read 7C very differently than other individuals, especially the first edition. Um in how it was meant to be played. And even years later, looking back upon those same rules, I can see where I missed markers of how it should be played mm-hmm. um, and understand it better now than I did then. Oh, sure. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Um, well, I think you're, you're more, you're, we're, we're both, especially having done this show for five years, we're both a lot more literate on multiple game systems now. Um, and we understand how to read a game system. Yeah. And what things to look for, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what are mm-hmm. these markers? Um, and it's it's kind of that re- reading between the lines, that sort of literacy that that that's that, that 
is what we're talking about when we're saying looking for these implicit markers. Mm -hmm. Um, Games often tell you what overall experience is supposed to be like. You know, you'll read the opening, you know, part of the book, and in the very forward of the book, they're like, right around where they're like, what is a tabletop RPG? Mm -hmm. They will talk about, well, this is a game about playing criminals in a criminal underworld, in a crappy medieval city, you know, mm-hmm. and your your players will, will take part in heists and, you know, just to give kind of an example, right? Mm-hmm. They'll have those sort of forewords in there. So you already kind of know explicitly what you're looking for, mm-hmm. but that doesn't do the justice of how the game is actually played in practice, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and sometimes those are not correct in their self-analysis okay they may say that this is a game about x y and z but then you look at the rules and the rules paint a completely different picture of what that gaming experience comes out like very much so and so authorial intent is only one very small part of how a game teaches us how to teach uh, how how to play it okay um and to be fair some games don't know what their experience is supposed to be like. Um, they don't. They either don't know or they don't present it in explicit terms. Um, it's kind of that make of it what you will approach. We're not going to tell you how to play the game. It's just a rule set. Have your own fun with it. Right. You know. Right. Um, however, what mechanics a game chooses to focus on? Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is really what you're looking for: the game mechanics that it chooses to focus on tells us what it sees as important to the experience. Yep. And I would say very much the inverse is true. What rules and what systems are left out Mm -hmm. tells you what it devalues. Exactly. All right. So let's give you a living example, one that we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I I think that's a solid example. All right. We rarely talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So outwardly. Mm -hmm. Outwardly. You go to D&D's website. I think I, I, I pulled some text off of dndbeyond.com, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And it says that it's based <clears throat> on three pillars. Mm-hmm. Exploration, social interaction, and combat. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, if you read just that, mm-hmm. okay, it is based on three pillars. You're seeing like a three-legged coffee table, you know, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. a bar stool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Equally balanced on three equally sized legs. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Now, I'm going to put this. The front of the 5th edition book, in the very first paragraphs of D&D 5th edition in the How to Play section, it states, and I quote, Unlike a game of make-believe, D&D gives structure to stories a a way to de- of determining the consequences of adventures and actions. Players roll dice to resolve whether their attack hits or misses, or whether their adventurer can scale a uh, adventurer can scale a cliff, roll away from a strike of a magic bolt, or pull off some dangerous task. Anything is possible, but the dice make some outcomes more probable than others. In the greater pillars that you just described, there is nothing in here about exploration or socialization. Yeah, I mean it's it's very it's very generic. But it, you know, it's talking about exciting situations and stuff like that. You know, that's... But it's all combat related. Yeah. The probability of combat. Mm-hmm. 
resolving one way or another. I, I you know, and I, I kind of consider that a, I don't want to say a Freudian slip, but, you know, it's it's a very self, uh, self-aware self statement that it yeah. makes there, you know? So, yeah, so this this just kind of goes to show that, like, you can, reading reading a description of what a game thinks it calls itself is mm-hmm. not a great way to, to look at this. So, uh, the reason we're saying all this, okay, look at how the rules are distributed in mm-hmm. Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, okay? So we're just talking about the Player's Handbook here. Now, mm-hmm. there are three core books. Player's Handbook, DM's Guide, Monster Manual. Mm-hmm. We are only talking about the Player's Handbook. And primarily, I'm talking about the Player's Handbook because it is the Player's Handbook, mm-hmm. okay? The other two books are not going to influence the players at the table necessarily. Mm-hmm. Unless they're also like a DM who yeah. has read that book, you know whatnot they're going to be primarily concerned with the with the things out of the player's guide and that is going to be do the most for the rules that will inform the decisions they make and how they play okay Mm -hmm. so starting at the beginning you've got your classes every single one of the base classes is a combat class Mm -hmm. okay most class abilities are usable within combat Mm -hmm. either by doing damage um doing damage differently Mm mm-hmm um, surviving damage mm-hmm. or controlling the battlefield in some way, mm-hmm. you know, by stunning a monster or something like that. If it's it's not dictating doing... whether or not damage can occur. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, then you flip to the equipment section. Most of it is weapons and armor. Mm-hmm. Now, I will be fair. The equipment section is the closest this comes to supporting exploration mm-hmm. as a thing because it's hard to say that, like, Pitons and, and 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 fifty feet of rope aren't exploration tools. There's not really many direct combat applications for them. Like they don't. I, you could probably hit somebody with a piton or clothesline somebody with a rope, but there's no like damage value. They're not listed as weapons. You follow? Well, and the, there's no mechanics tied to the descriptions. Right. Whereas everything else has a chart showing you exactly how it applies to the mechanics of your character and the game and of combat. Whereas a piton or rope doesn't tell you you get advantage or plus one or anything some of these things do some of these things do they're like there's weird rules about like thieves tools and instruments and stuff like that um specifically that that, that aren't terribly well spelled out in my humble opinion Mm -hmm. um but at least they are there they at least pay them lip service Mm -hmm. okay then you get to like feats 90% 90% of those are combat-based. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, again, to be fair, some things that support social play, like the actor feat. Mm-hmm. But again, 90% of them are do damage differently, do damage more extremely, you know, yeah. etc. Take extra options to do damage in combat. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to skills. Skills are just kind of a short section on how to use the skills in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's only like two or three pages long, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. too. Um and this is, I think, about as close as the game gets to supporting social, mm-hmm. because it's here that they describe where you can use persuasion and deception and such like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then you get to the combat chapter. Yeah. And it is the combat chapter. We don't need to, to explain that one further. Nope. And then after that, we've got spells. There is no exploration section. There's also no social section. Nope. Anything like that. It's funny that of the three pillars, only one of them has a chapter named after it. Mm-hmm. And that all, basically all other chapters in that book are in service of that one pillar. Mm-hmm. And that's just the player's handbook. 
the Monster Manual is ostensibly 100% combat-based, mm-hmm. because it's basically just a catalog of monsters to fight. Yeah, the and the sections related to those that you can socially interact with aren't even a paragraph mm-hmm. describing their social interactions in a vague sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly it's there to give you their stats for combat purposes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to completely call the Monster Manual in, 100% of combat. Book. And in mo- I, I think in 95% of the cases, skills aren't even described. Mm-hmm. They are ignored. Yep. Because monsters don't have skills. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple. They, they leave them out if they basically don't have uh, uh, some sort of special proficiency in them. So you'll see a monster stat block and it'll be like, Perception 8... Stealth. Uh, uh, stealth three. Yeah, but and th- that's it. Like that's right. all they've got. Right. You know? It's not like there's a social there for diplomacy. Right. Or or deception. Right. Or anything right. like that. As much as I would think a mimic should have lots of deception. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the, the the DM's guide um, is probably the closest we get to supporting the other the other uh, yeah. uh, uh, things. To be fair, the DM's guide is actually a pretty decent book. No, it's not bad. Don't um, there's there if if you are if you are going to run a D and D game, um, I, I would highly suggest m- just reading the DM's guide like four times front to, front to back. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot of combat stuff in there. There's an extensive section about like magical weapons and armor and stuff of like that, which is again ninety percent of combat application. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also great stuff in there for, like, running things in different biomes and environments and adding in weather effects and whatnot to the exploration sort of aspects of things, what to do during downtime, um, how to run social encounters and such like that uh, is, is is all kind of in there. But but that's from a DM's perspective. Right. It that's, shows that it's your job. That's exactly the problem. Yes. Is that that's And that's why I stressed at the beginning of this is that... We're talking about the player handbook. Okay. So, of the six people sitting at your table, five of them read a rule book that says the only thing to do in this game is combat. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. One of them read a book that said, and sometimes there's other things. So, ostensibly, this is a combat game. Exactly. That is what we are doing. We do combat, we gain experience. We get levels. That's right. it. Now, how are we drawing this conclusion? I mean I mean I think we spelled it out pretty clo- pretty, mm-hmm. pretty pretty well. But like I think I think there there's a there's a few things psychologically that we need to look at happening here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be like, this is a combat game. Okay, cool. People in are are going to be immediately thinking but you don't have to do combat. Like, com- okay, sure, combat has the most rules, but there's nothing saying you can't do exploration. There's nothing saying you can't do social, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What we have to do is we have to start looking at the psychology of things. Okay. There are few other options given to us by the rules. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everything on my character sheet, save for a couple things, is a combat option. So when I myself as a player am am thinking, how do I solve this problem? And I look down at the resources available to me on my com- uh, on my character sheet. You said combat sheet. I could feel it. <laughs> I did say combat sheet. That was a Freudian slip. Um, so I looked down at my combat sheet. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that old saying, if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And D&D is just a big 
shiny box full of fun and very interesting hammers and little else. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why we so frequently get murder hobos that kill everything on sight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. So... I was I was talking about this about Sean earlier uh, about this to, to to Sean earlier when I was making lunch and um, I was he has he was asking what the show was about so I was kind of going through some of this mm-hmm. some of this argument with him mm-hmm. and I said if as a player I'm asking you how you want to solve this problem in front of you do you look down at your persuasion skill that just says persuasion and has a number next to it. Mm-hmm. As a way to resolve it nonviolently, or do you want to cast chain lightning? Mm-hmm. Which sounds more interesting to you? Which do you think you will have more fun with? Which one expands with your level? Yeah. Which one has more rules and allows you to pick up a wad of dice? I mean, ostensibly, your persuasion does not change. With your skill. Basically. That is your choice whether or not it does. Your class will expand your other combat abilities. Yeah. You will get better at combat without getting any better at persuasion. You will successively get more and shinier hammers in your toolbox to use on whatever, whether yeah. they're a nail or not. Yeah. And then we wonder why we get murder hobos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the only choices, the only interesting choices we put in front of our players, the shiny things that we put in front of our players, mm-hmm. are all ways to kill their problems. Yeah. I mean, literally, there is no direct showing within the player's handbook of how exploration works. Yeah, there really isn't. There, there's no mechanics for it. There's no no design for it. There's a com- clear combat section. Even if they mimicked, like other systems do, the combat to an exploration system of some kind, that would make sense. But it's not. It's, yeah. it's 100% esoteric up to the storyteller, the DM in this case, to generate exploration. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's actually no way for a character to proactively engage in exploration. Mm-mm. A character can say, I cast Chain Lightning. They can proactively engage in combat. Mm-hmm. But they cannot proactively engage in exploration unless the storyteller adds that into the game Correct. system. Same with interacting socially. Mm-hmm. The only social mechanics are in the DM's guide. They have to be asked for. Yeah. So if you want to do something proactively socially... Short of a spell being cast, mm-hmm. which has mechanics associated with it that could affect a social encounter. Or just the ultra-generic role persuasion. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, if your entire social mechanic is, is boiled down to literally two words, role persuasion, yeah, then it's not, it's not a mechanic, you know? Yeah. Yes. It is, it is simplified. But there's, but there's, there's no, like... And this is kind of one of the reasons why, like when we did, when we did the system spotlight on the One Ring, mm-hmm. why we were saying that it does D and D better than D and D does D and D. Well, it does what the perception. That's yes, and because I... it actually has those three pillars. Correct. Correct. Know? Correct. And I think that it. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna take take a step here. Is is that our perception of the game is not just the book. Mm-hmm. It is how others have played it. 
It is how others have perceived play of it. Yeah. It is the social environment wrapped around it. I will say that Critical Role does not do D&D justice it really for doesn't. what it is. And it, it, is, it is ostensibly hurt what the core of D&D actually is and lied about it. Kind of, yeah. And you can you and you can even tell like the when all this kerfluffle happened and then they they started announcing basically that they were coming out with Daggerheart. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of tell that like that they're they they already acknowledge that D and D is not the right game for their table. No, you know it it got them to fame because it was a popularity that they could that they could latch themselves onto and whatnot it was the xerox of role playing games everybody knew it it was the kleenex yeah it was such a <laughs> such a household name but like mm-hmm. you can tell that the way they play D, very social mm-hmm. you know is 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 and and, and political in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways too is not the way that they want to be playing D&D no. And you can tell that Matt Mercer doesn't want to spend entire episodes on combat encounters every third episode. Be- you know, it's it's why there's 150 episodes in a season. You know, in in, in, a, in a, a, a campaign because mm-hmm. it's like because uh, 75 of those things are just combat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so in that we we can kind of extrapolate away from D and D ever so slightly to say like the One Ring does have an exploration system. Yeah. You know, Blades in the Dark has a reputation system. Reputation and factions and that, stuff that's like a, that for a, dealing a, with social. That's a good social framework. Yeah. But because the players learn that there are no rules and little mention, it means that it's not important. Right. For the whole mechanic. That's the implicitness that we're talking about. It is implied that exploration and socialization are not important in the D&D world. Yeah, they're not things I have to worry about because our entire social mechanic is role persuasion. Mm-hmm. So as long as, I don't, as long as I don't have to role persuasion, then I don't have to worry about that, do I? Right. And I guess I'll just choose combat instead. Yes. And what's interesting is... Even Baldur's Gate, the the uh, uh, three, the the aforementioned pinnacle of digital version of D anD D Fifth Edition, which it shines so well on, paints the picture of how that's supposed to function. Meaning, I'm going to say something. I'm then going to roll dice to see if what I said has any impact, and legitimately, my character either succeeds or fails. And never really increases that unless I have some, you know, equipment that gives me some bonus or a magical ability that gives me some bonus. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. I can still straight up fail it. Yep. Straight up fail it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is the other piece that's implied about that is that it's not just about combat. Yes, D&D is a combat game to it we have we've explained that we've showed how it's implied but it's also a pass fail game mm-hmm. that's it there is no consequence and and, and a lot of, yeah a lot of stuff is what they call save or suck yeah you know, where it's it's and, and i think that goes both ways i, mean, I played a spellcaster in your last D game mm-hmm. and i'll tell you it it feels bad when like my turn comes around in an already too long combat and I go, all right, I'm going to blow a fifth level spell that's going to screw this guy over. And they're like, okay, they made their save. What happens? Nothing. Yeah. My entire turn basically didn't happen, and I'm out of high level resource. Yep. 
you know, just it's okay. Next, next person doesn't, doesn't matter that you're tenth level. Yep, doesn't matter that you prepared. Nothing, none of that matters. So, what, what then conclusion do we draw then about? So, combat's already the most important thing in here, and then we start looking at well, optimal combat then is the optimal way to have fun because it doesn't feel good when you fail in combat, right? Mm-hmm. So don't try if you don't, if you're not a high quality chance, high percentage chance of success. Yeah. So optimize, stack the deck in as, 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 as much as you possibly can. And therefore you will have the most fun mm-hmm. because if you don't stack the deck, you'll spend half of your time literally doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how you end up with discussions on Reddit, like, I'm running a D&D campaign and one of my new players didn't take the agonizing blast feat on her warlock. Should I have a, should I take her aside and have a talk to her? Or, what is the best D&D build for, for a, uh, a, a, a ranger? Yeah. You know, what, or worse yet, what your D&D class says about you. I'm, I'm <laughs> not even worried about the, what your D&D class says about you. I'm more worried about, uh... One of my characters decided to play a monk, and uh, we all know that monks are suboptimal. So I'm just really worried that they're not going to have a good time, and that they're they're gonna like. Should I tell them not to play a monk? No, they should play whatever the hell they want. Your use of the word suboptimal is like literally between levels fifteen and twenty. They start to fall off a little bit if you do direct ideal number comparisons. Mm-hmm. But like, dude, come on, mm-hmm. you know. But but it, again, but it's that mentality of op, like optimal You will not play. have fun. You will not have fun because mm-hmm. you will not be effective. Mm-mm. And then you combine that with the rules on how their combat works, where hit points. Um, you know, you are at full effectiveness until you hit zero hit points, and then you are not effective anymore. Mm-hmm. You are unconscious. A pass-fail state. It is a pass-fail state, exactly. You are either alive and kicking 100%, or you are, or you are incapacitated. Mm-hmm. And so the quicker you can get your enemies to incapacitated, the better. So there's this focus on high damage outcome. Even right? the statuses that get applied when you're not dead. Paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Silenced. Do nothing. Say nothing. Yeah. Cast no spells. You are you are effectively set to a zero state. Yeah. Of something. Mm-hmm. Like you're either successful or zeroed. And again, that's that's that part of the system to imply that to you. And as Knox says in the live chat here, also that mentality doesn't take any level of creativity or consideration. No. Exactly. Um it's 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 a binary state. Which you're either doing it or you're not doing it. There's no in between. And and I think this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna take us back so we can move forward. Sure, sure. That this paints the picture of where it came from, which was tabletop warfare. Mm-hmm. Your your model is either up and functional or down and useless. Up, down, or off the table, as we say exactly. in Exactly. Yep. And that right there tells you how D and D is played. D and D is a combat game where you're either up, successful, and optimal in your unit, mm-hmm. or out of game and make a new character. Yep. It doesn't like if they told you that you should just have a stack of roguelike characters where you're going to keep playing them because you're not optimal in them. <laughs> the you know, funnel, you yeah. know. But it is. It comes from that OSR design. Yeah. Yeah. 
And many people say it should go right back to it. Mm-hmm. Because that's its roots, and it's it's not moved far enough from it. Yeah. Advanced D&D didn't move it from it. Three, four, five you moves can, the bar far. You can see it trying to inch away from it, but I, it's it's too... It's too afraid to cut the purse string. So we had a we had an episode about this a mm-hmm. while back about um, what you would look for in a in 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 a two of a system, you know, mm-hmm. and and what's kind of holding some of these systems back. And I think that's like, you know, you you never use the base stat in D anD. d You only ever use your modifiers. Mm-hmm. Why are we not using modifiers? Why do I need an eighteen to derive a plus four? Yeah. When I only ever use the plus four. Yeah. Get rid of the eighteen part. Skip straight to the plus four. Mm-hmm. That's what Powered by the Apocalypse does. Yeah. There's, you, there's... you get stat, stats are minus one, uh, minus three to plus three, in most systems. Yeah. And then you just add that to your die roll. All right. We are not doing good time expect this show to run long i'm just gonna put that out there just expect this show to run long we are 40 minutes into this episode already i don't and we need to get to another half that was actually that was the meat of the discussion it is true that is the meat of the discussion but let's talk about explicit all right let's talk about where the game explicitly tells you how it's to be played all right i find this much easier and i'm seeing this way more often in narrative systems Mm -hmm. but i'm not saying it's exclusive to narrative systems because even though things can be explicit they're not as explicit as as one would think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so let's let's start breaking this apart a little bit sure um so older games like we were saying kind of fall into this ttrpg design that D D framed for us that d20 this is really hidden behind the covers osr tabletop warfare and so that grandfathering brought it forward into that design and i i speak to games a lot of our 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 uh, generic early generic game design Mm -hmm. was that gurps yeah is very much within that design palladium is very much in that design yeah even um, even games that came slightly after that, like we've talked about how Vampire the Masquerade, you know, it wants to be played as a game of personal horror, very social, mm-hmm. very political, and then put rocket launchers and celerity in the uh, in the game, and you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but when the mechanics and storyteller types start diversifying a little bit, it you have to start explaining it. You have to spell things out to the people at the table powered by the apocalypse gave that first step because it took a giant leap away from Mm -hmm. that simplistic we're going to talk about the hard mechanics first yeah yeah you know step and when you flat out say in the opening of your book that this game is about non-violence and teamwork you are taking that first step oh yeah yeah, You're absolutely. framing in that direction. Uh, we saw this in a lot more in games like um, uh, 7C did this or uh, or Cyberpunk, where the first thing they describe is media that it mimics, the mm-hmm. narrative media, so that it, it's framing itself within the this looks and feels like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is – we're going to tell you about the theme and the feel before we even get to the mechanics. Right. We already want to paint a picture in your mind of what you should be envisioning when you're playing this game, when you're looking at the rules. Right, right. And how, and, and looking to those rules for how those rules emulate the feel of the media we just directed you to. Exactly. You know? And in, 
And even more so now, because we do have a past, many of these games say, you know, they take accolades from these previous properties. Sure. And they, they use them as inspiration, and that helps in many frameworks of being able to look back upon things. And, you know, I, I think I, I, you started actually doing that long before I think I ever started seeing this uh, regularly in books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some of the old White Wolf books do do that. Where they they're did. Like, they're, they're, you know, look at this re- media, listen to these songs, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of thing, read these books. Right. Uh, fi- fiction books, I should correct, say. Correct, correct. Um, but you had a thing you did back in the day where uh, when you first introduced me to 7C. Yes. Um, and frequently we hearken back to the uh, Disney uh, Three Musketeers. Yes, and Man in the Iron Mask. Man in the Iron Mask. Yes. And what you would do is you like you sat us down and we would watch that show. And it was just recreationally. You weren't, you yeah. weren't trying to prove a point about it. But nope. you like pointed to the scene and you're like, okay. So this guy has this skill, and he's using it in such and such a way, and started explaining how the scene unfolds in 7th C rules. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like this, this paints a perfect picture for me for how 7th C should be played. Yep. You know? Yep. So I think it's great that when, when, when things do this, and then they say, think of this movie when you're playing our, our game. Yeah. Think of this movie when you're reading our rules. You know, when you're thinking of a heist, we're talking Ocean's Eleven. Right. Right. Where where there are flashback moments to go back and help you see if you were successful at preparing for this eventuality. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you don't have to do it in game. You know, I loved that about Blades in the Dark is that it it literally said, like, don't worry about getting your crap together you can do it in scene. Right. And that's you're, wonderful. You're a professional. Of course you've got your crap together. We just need to discover how. So even though we're talking about explicits, some of the explicits are still a little, I would still say something that you need to read. For. A, a good example. Let's start with like Mouse Guard. Yeah. I think Mouse Guard does a great job because it's character sheets and, and character building helps the player right off the bat with framing. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about goals, instincts, and belief being things that a character needs. Right. So a goal being what does your mouse want to accomplish this section? Mm -hmm. Okay. An instinct is what does your mouse do? How does your mouse act without thinking? Mm -hmm. Okay. When when reflexes kick in, what is the thing that guides what that action comes out as? Mm -hmm. And belief is what values drive your mouse? um, You know, what what does your mouse hold that guides their actions? Mm Mm-hmm. What sits right behind all of that. Right, that, when, that. when they are thinking about what they're doing. And just by having those sections in the book mm-hmm. and on the character sheet in a predominant way defines that the player knows that they're important, that yep. their motivations within the game, and goes so far as to actually have them incorporated in the mechanics. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's not a lot of mechanics attached to them, but you get uh, either, I cannot remember if it's fate or persona or possibly both points, but these are an expendable meta currency. Essentially, you can get to get like re-rolls and stuff like that on things. Right. If you play according to your your instinct and your belief, mm-hmm. and if you accomplish your goal. Yep. But, but it's part of the mechanics. Mm-hmm. It's included within them. It's a narrative component of your character that is expressed yep. mechanically. Yeah. And and that right there sets an explicit of how this game is meant to be played. It is tying the story to the characters. Um, we also see this in things that are that are not necessarily as 
I would say, black and white. Mm-hmm. In the case, with, and I'll say this because it's funny that I'm bringing it up in black and white, in Vampire the Masquerade, because all their books are black and white, which I love. <laughs> um, but they used uh, um, the concept of natures and demeanors. Yeah. Which is how you perceive, uh, how the world perceives the way you express yourself to the world versus what you really carry inside. Right, right, What your right. truths are. Think of demeanor as a mask you show to the outside world, yes. and nature is what is truly in your heart. Um, and they're kind of like alignments, but they're but they're word descriptions mm-hmm. that have a, a a sort of thing with. It. And there's there's uh, maybe I don't know two dozen of them or something yeah. like that. There's a good there's a good number of them. Um, I actually really liked the nature and demeanor system. I, I loved it. I loved it. Um, and each one of them came with a just a small game mechanic, and which is basically regain willpower whenever you act according to your nature or your demeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the conniver. You know, it's just basically somebody who tries to get everybody else to do things for them, you know, for, for whatever reasons. Right. And it's like regain willpower whenever somebody somebody accomplishes a goal for you. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So now there's a mechanical reason why I should be acting in this in this way. Yeah. But I would say not only does this act as a role-playing guide for you, mm-hmm. okay, but there's kind of an, an, an implicit... Um, rule in here as, as well, right? Your character has a nature and a demeanor. A demeanor is a mask they show to the world, right? right? Does everybody else have a mask they show to the world while holding something else in their heart? And the truth is, yes. Yes. That is exactly the answer. So what, as a player, can you learn about just the simple mechanic that there are nature and demeanor and they are different? That the world is two-faced. Yes. That is what we are presenting, is that it is more complex. The in, each individual is more complex than they are let on to be, and that the world will always have these two edges. The discovery, uh, the presentation of the demeanor, and understanding the nature of someone. Exactly. Exactly. And this boosts the social aspects of the game's complexity. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is explicit within the rule set, mm-hmm. presented directly to everyone. Yep. The players and the storytellers. Yep. So that makes it very player-facing. And there, there are others examples through different books, but these are just some, some good overt ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's baked into the mechanics of the game. Um. The One Ring, I'll come back to, just because I think it's a very good thing, literally has two sections of play, an adventure and a fellowship phase. Mm-hmm. In the adventure phase, it is the traditional thing as we know it, where the storyteller is presenting uh, the the situations that wrap around the players who are asking to go in a certain direction. Right, right. We, we go out into the world, we explore, we scout, we have random encounters. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, but maybe we find some treasure, etc. That's all the adventure phase. Right, but the, the concept Consequences are being played out by the storyteller, mm-hmm. and that is the mechanic. Whereas on the flip side of that is the fellowship, where literally the storyteller almost takes a back seat to hear how the return happens. Yeah, yeah. how the player's dramatical, dramatic, or or complex or recovery occurs, and that right there again shows that duplicity. That is necessary for the social interaction at the table, mm-hmm. but but the, the the very fact that there is a phase for mm-hmm. the story for for, for, the, for the players to do a it's called a fellowship phase. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I mean, that tells you a lot about what this game holds important. Yeah. That narrative coming from the players is important. Mm -hmm. Has weight. Yeah. Has importance. Mouse Guard does something very similar. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they don't they don't have fancy names for them like Adventure and Fellowship, but they do call it the player phase and the, and the GM phase. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the, the GM phase is kind of where things are happening to the player characters, mm -hmm. whereas the player phase then is where the players essentially, get to, like you said, take the reins and accomplish certain goals and such like that during that uh, using checks that they received during the GM phase, basically. Yeah, and then it in in the case of Mouse Guard, it then goes on to have the end phase that happens at the very quote unquote end, where you talk about the important parts of the story. Who was an important mouse? What important actions occurred? And how that counts to advancement within the mechanics. Mm -hmm. Again, setting a weight to you using your belief, your instinct, you know, things like that within the story. So again, a mechanical weight, but also a phase, an important phase that is dictated by the rules in open obvious ways says directly we want you to do this thing yeah you know it is not it is not a optional rule mm -hmm. it is not a a buried thing within the dm section that you know the dm should be concerning themselves about you know because this is how advancement should be doled out no 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 this is a group activity that everyone is aware of. Yep. There is no longer a screen that separates the the DM from the the players in this view of the basic rules. Right, right. So it's it's very overt. And speaking of overt rules, speaking Lord. of overt rules, we had a great discussion about this earlier yes. that actually led to Sean making a uh, bespoke role playing starting system of, starting a kick. Yeah, uh, he's he's refined it a bit, and it's great. Yeah, we'll 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 see if he'll get to present that up on the 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 story. It'll uh, be fun. But uh, uh, overt rules such as lasers and feelings and honey heist. I mean, you're dealing with a single page of physical rules, and and in the in in the the description of overt rules, lasers and feelings is not only the title of the game, but it's the rules. That's the that's, name of the game. <laughs> that's the whole rule. Yeah. It's either lasers or it's feelings. Right. There's no other options. No. You know? But it also completely dictates how you're supposed to feel about the game. Mm -hmm. There is no gray area. There is no question about what you're doing. Yeah. And... In that, you are being as overt as possible because you don't have a choice. You have a page to tell the entirety of who is running this game the requirements, necessity, and how it should feel. Mm -hmm. And I think it does a great job. I think literally rules boiled down to that simplicity can't focus on anything else other than the truth. Yeah. What is this game supposed to feel like how is it supposed to play and you don't get a choice this is how it has to like you can kind of dabble into other options as mm -hmm. you have bigger books but realistically when you got a page to get your game out that's it yeah that that's your choice and you start asking the questions like you know the, the things because it's, it's such a rules light system you know what's missing damn near everything um Oh, that was uh, just uh, Sean posting the link to the updated uh, Google Doc for <laughs> you nice. there. How nice. Um, but uh, 
you know, you, you start you start talking with like the absence of rules mm-hmm. um, show you what's not important. And of course, you've got a, a, a rule system like lasers and feelings, where literally the only two rules are lasers and feelings. Mm-hmm. What's missing? Damn near everything, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what does that tell you about what's important? It's it's not. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We're not we're not here to find any of those other systems important. Okay. There's only two things that are important in this game, and that is lasers and feelings. Yeah. Are you doing something that is human and empathetic and stuff like that? Well, that sounds a lot like feelings. Are you doing something that's technological or maybe something that's aggressive? That sounds like a laser. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What is your character better at? Mm Mm-hmm. That'll tell you whether or not what your success rate is. That's it. Yeah. That is literally it. Honey Heist is the other opposite. You're a bear who's doing criminal activity. Are you more of a criminal or, or more, of, more a of a bear? bear. Yep. <laughs> and this, this, it is the beauty and simplicity of those roles that do it. Um, uh, uh, Lady Blackbird mm-hmm. is another good example that has a bit more rule to it. But without a doubt, it is effectively a, a, a mystery game that you're dictating out your role of, of what happens in a scene effectively. Yeah. yeah. It can't get into complexities. It can tell you exactly what you need to do, and everything else is important. Isn't important. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want you to have optional rules or availability for those other rules. Yeah, because they're not necessary. S- sometimes your lack of rules is stay focused on the prize here. Mm-hmm. Don't I? You know, don't don't get distracted with other things. That's, yeah. that's not what this game is about. Yeah. Uh, d- d- tiny D six as I've been going through it. Uh intrigues me but at the same time feels way too way overly complex but every time i read through it it effectively what they've done in that is uh, uh <laughs> basically accommodated for someone to ask the question of well what about this and then they basically repeat the same rule set over and over again mm-hmm. like all right we said this already once roll a d6 <laughs> did do you think you've got an advantage on this? Roll another one. It ain't called tiny consult the chart. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and and that's the thing is, is that a good system will repeat a rule set until your brain goes, okay, I understand how the rules work. I don't yeah. need to ask the question that's, anymore. That's the thing I liked about Savage Worlds. Right. Roll roll the die that is a, that is tied to your trait. It will tell you because it's, there's no mystery to it. Yeah. What do you what do you have in uh, in persuasion? A d8. What do you think you should roll? A d8. Right. right. Did that go over a four? Good. You succeeded. Congrats. Congrats. That's that's all of Savage Worlds right yeah, there. That you is know? the the and and again, it's it, it, we're not saying that simplistic dice roll games are 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 better or worse in any mm-hmm. way we're just saying that when a system can remove all of the challenges and give you a mechanic set but then in then explicitly tell you what's important to use that with mm-hmm. we are saying that the game is helping you paint the picture of how it's supposed to feel yeah exactly. each session should feel exactly so all right, we have some really great questions we need to get to here. We do, we do. We All do. right, so Sunshine asks, 
Dig dig for it. It's in there. First off, Sunshine says, amazing topic. Thank you. Thank you, Sunshine. Thank, thank, thank you, Sunshine. Um, I can it. definitely think of all kinds of games that don't do this very well. So can uh, we. Like, if you pick up Noblis, uh, it's an it's an incredible book. Absolutely oozes its wonderful Sandman-like tones and themes. Mm-hmm. But B, it's like pulling teeth trying to figure out how to actually sit down and play it by reading that book. My biggest <laughs> okay. question would be, like, how do you tell where the sweet spot is? Like, for me, so many games have far too few rules. Hmm. Almost all fate-type systems, powered by Apocalypse and a lot of Forged in the Dark, not Apocalypse World or Blades in the Dark themselves, seem to me to have way too few rules. I feel like it's not fun to have such an unstructured experience. But there are also games that maybe have too many. But Pathfinder gets that too many rules complaint a lot, and I know zero people who have tried Pathfinder and not liked it. Sorry, you know one person, because mm-hmm. I'm raising my hand right now. I mm-hmm. did this on Discord, too. You already know. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wonder if the if the ideal rules crunchiness experience is different for the DM in some ways than for the players. Okay, so I see two questions in there. Where's, yeah, the, where's the sweet spot? And is the ideal rules level of crunchiness um, different for the DM than it is for the players? Okay, so starting from the first one, how do you tell where the sweet spot is? The sweet spot is all about the the, the table, realistically. Yeah, it is the agreed. story that it needs to be told in the time that you have with the players you have. That is the truth. Because that is no different than if we say, hey, do we want to play Monopoly? Or do we want to play Shoots and Ladders? Or do we want to play a card game? Yeah. We're sitting down to enjoy time with each other. But the question is, is that somebody might say, I, I don't like Monopoly, there are too many rules. And I hate cards because I don't want to play against anyone. Mm-hmm. So let's just play Suits and Ladders, right? That is a choice of the table in many ways. And I think the sweet spot always will lie in how you need to know how the game wants to be played and what the level that your players are willing to commit to that. Because a lot of times people will homebrew and remove rules that are unnecessary, that are, that are over mm-hmm. so that they can just get to enjoying the game. And in, in the cases like you were talking about with powered by the apocalypse games, oftentimes are rules light where literally they're just like, Hey, are you using the right words? Then you can do the thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that can sometimes feel unstructured and challenging to players who really are just there for beer and pretzels. Yeah. They want to be able to look at a sheet, make a decision and roll some dice. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you on a lot of points there. Um, I, I think the, the sweet spot is not about the amount of rules or the structure of the rules, but the effectiveness of the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Reddit thread that I got into the other day. Uh, somebody was asking, what makes a system, ef- what makes a rule effective at mm-hmm. what it does or something like that? And I'm like, uh, I-, I said, I think I think it-, it has to evoke the feeling that it is going for, mm-hmm. i.e. if it is a rule that is just supposed to be generating horror, you should feel tension about mm-hmm. engaging with that rule. If it is a combat rule, it should feel exciting, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, uh, it should accurately represent the complexity of what's going on without going too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so be easily understood and applied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had one more thing. I think it was fun. 
fun. It's fun to engage with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't feel like a chore of like, oh, God, we've got to do this task now in our game. It should be like, oh, yay, I get to do the thing. Yeah, 7th C was great about that because when you're heroic, you want to feel heroic in what you do. Yeah. So every part of the rule set in 1st edition was, oh, what am I doing? Sword stuff. I'm good at sword stuff. Let me scoop up my pile of dice to see how successful I am. Yeah, exactly. Oh, darn, something terrible happened. Let me grab these dramatic dice to change all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, everything felt natural to the theme and feel of the, with the, in tied with the mechanics. And then you as the storyteller, when drama dice hit the table, you were, like, very enthusiastic about, okay, here's how awesome that looked, mm-hmm. you know? And in describing how that drama die changed the pitch of what was just about to happen. Yep. It was great, you know? Yep. Um, um, so I think I think if your rules are... If whatever rule system you are doing, mm-hmm. evoke those feelings. They mm-hmm. are effective. They are easy to engage with on a, on a rule standpoint. And they are fun to engage with. I think those that's your sweet spot. But that's going to be different for everybody. Yes. I think that carries into the second question is... If the ideal rules crunchiness experience is different for the DM in some ways than is their players, yes, without a doubt. As DMs, we will abuse ourselves to accept what our players are enjoying. Yes. That is something that is always happening. Let me rephrase what you just said a little (laughs) less delicately. As storytellers, we will abuse ourselves to cover for what our players are not doing. That's fair. I.e., the players aren't going to read most of the player's handbook. One in ten players will be as enthusiastic about the rule system as you are. I am, even at my own table, full of very good players, mm-hmm. kind of surprised on a little, a, little, a little more often than not when a player says, oh yeah, I'm using this rule in this way. And I'm like, oh shit, you read the rule book? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, let me just sweat a little bit right. here. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew, for yeah. that. Yes. Um, but I will, I will say... For me, as a DM, if I can pull back the covers of the amount of rules necessary to give my players the most simple rule set so that there is less to think about, yeah, I've just de- redefined how that gameplay is going to progress. And, and that, for me, gets us closer to story. And it's and it's not only that. It's not only what, what your players need to focus on, but it, a barrier of entry, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I... One of the reasons I, I, I hear frequently for like people not wanting to try other role-playing systems mm-hmm. once they've learned D&D mm-hmm. is that um, D&D is such a pain in the ass to learn for a lot of new gamers. It's a lot of... It is actually a lot of rules. I mean, I'm going to need you to take it from a 10 to a 7. For experienced <laughs> players, it doesn't sound that bad. Right. Okay, it's, it's, it is a medium crunch thing. But like for a new player, it's a bucket of ice water over your head, mm-hmm. you know? And so then when you say, let's try another system, they go, they think to themselves, D&D was such a pain in the ass to learn, and I didn't, I don't still really understand most of the rules yeah. of it. I don't want to do that all over again. Let's just stick with D&D, you know? Yeah. And that, that's kind of how you fall into those loops. And I, I think, and this is one of the reasons I've, I've come to like rules light systems so much, is because the ideal rules crunchiness is a barrier of entry for my players. Yes. That's how I got your wife on board with Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Was I taught it to her in three sentences. Yeah. And had her going, that's it? Yeah. That's, that's it. it. Can you remember? Always roll a four. Mm-hmm. Roll a d6. 
roll, yeah. roll a d6 with everything alongside whatever trait is on your thing, and it will be explicit about what, what, what die B that to is. B to four. B to four. On one of those dice. That's it? That's, That's the it. whole game? Yep. Wow. Yeah, I'll play that. Cool. Done. Boom. Yep. Done. You know? So, yeah. Anyways, that's that's how I feel about the ideal rules crunch. Yes, it's it's different for the DM and for the players because the, whatever the players don't pick up, the, the storyteller has to. Yeah. Uh, no additional notes. All right. So Nevum asks, uh, uh, "How game fail to teach us? So how can games fail to teach us how to play them?" <laughs> um, by not having the uh not having the game's mechanics actually meet any level of play yeah where it's just mechanics yeah it, they they feel separated like like it's a board game with a bunch of lore and things strapped on top of it mhm and you'll find that you will find that all over the place like i made this awesome world and then i just grabbed some i just threw some mechanics in there that sounded right and you're like, these don't go together. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about a compassionate world of of caring individuals who've had a hardships in their existence, and yet the next page talks about how to brutally murder each other and death is easy. O- okay, what? Why are they even talking about this? Why? Why is this a thing? And it's that separation of lore and world. And and gameplay from mechanics that often gives people the most confusion, mm-hmm. because it you you'll watch one person play run the game and play it with people, and then you'll go to another table and it's vastly different. Yeah, yeah, vastly different because they just didn't see it the same way. Yeah, and there's there's uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the, the the biggest thing there. No no consistency mm-hmm. in 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 any of that. Um, yeah, but. I mean, I, I suppose, like, I, I don't know that a, a game will ever truly fail to teach you how to play it. Because every game, every rule set is designed to be engaged with some way, right? Whether that way is eclectic and confusing and completely at odds with the story it's trying to present or not, it will still teach you how to play it. It, the, I, it, I, will, tell, it will tell you what it values. Yeah. The problem is... Some game systems don't value the same things that they say the story is about. I will say Dune is challenging in understanding how it's meant to be played. Uh, Dune, the modifius system using yeah. the 2d20 system. But I will flat out say that when I was playing... God, now, I, now I've lost the name of it. Shoot. I'm terrible. My brain fog kicked in. Um, I played it at Gen Con, and now I've lost it. It'll come back to me. Numenera? Numenera, thank you. Hey, Lamau. That game is so, so confusing about how it wants to be played. Mm-hmm. Because you have abilities and skills as if it, if it was a normal game and then you have these items that randomly give you powers and just disappear and you're supposed to keep using them mm-hmm. that's the whole point of it is that they come and go 
and you're supposed to use them all the time, and yet they are a rare resource of this world. They're but artifacts. But you're supposed to spend them like they're Skittles. Correct. Yeah. It doesn't make, like, and this is the disconnect that I was talking about, is that when you look at this, you're going, this doesn't make sense even in a story capacity. Yeah. Like, why would I use these up? I mm-hmm. might need these for something. For my people, for for what I'm doing, for progressing forward, and yet you're telling me that I need to use these because I should be getting more of these according to the system. What? Meet my elixirs every time I play Final Fantasy. (laughs) I might need them. It's the final battle, Sarah. But But I could need them. But the thing is, is imagine if Final Fantasy only gave you three slots for elixirs. That's true. For all potions. That's true, yeah. So now you have to use them, but you're not sure why you're just spending them willy-nilly when the next one could literally be useless. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you have a life elixir. Great. I have a full mana elixir. And what's my third elixir? Grease. What does it do? It oils up my enemies and uh, allows me to light them on fire. Okay, well, some of the enemies that I might fight are actually fireproof, so that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Well, then you should probably get rid of it. Well, yeah, but, like, what is it going to be replaced with? A water elixir. What does it do? Makes them wet. What, well, how is that important to me in any way? Right? And that's the feeling that this game elicits, is, is that it's just random chaos of what you're getting out of things. It doesn't give you a drive to to want to use them or a reason, really, why you're using them like this, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think Numenera is the one that gets me. And playing Numenera, I was like, this is the flagship of this system? This system was not designed for this. Yeah, yeah. This system is not designed for this. I, I, I see this more active in a Mad Max world than I do in the Numenera world. Mm-hmm. So. I want to get on to the next question real Kilke? quick. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, Nevim. oh, yes. Because, because this is an actually an excellent question. I we think it didn't is. Touch, on, touch on the thing. Uh, we kind of did, but go ahead. How do the XP systems teach players how to play the game? Because that is directly a carrot dangled in front of them. 100%. Your character advancement, what things do you need to do? To be better. To be better, Right. And to be honest, like that's a I can keep coming back to keep come back to how D and D is just a combat game. Let's step away from D and D. Sure. Mouse guard. Mouse guard. What advances you? Did you adv- did you achieve your goal? Mm-hmm. Did you play your instinct? Mm-hmm. Did you play your belief? Yep. Uh, the workhorse of the group. Yep. The MVP. Yep. Of the group. Yep. The embodiment. Yes, of, of their a, character. Of mou- no, embodiment of mouse guard. Embodiment of mouse guard of the guard. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah, and literally, it expresses the game. Yeah, to 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 be advanced in the game, you have to be the the b- components of the game, not slay the most things. Mm-hmm. In fact, slaying's not even part of it. Yeah, you could fail the entire game. And, and actually, st- that would be great for your advancement. If it you would hundred percent. We won't even get into that part of it. Yeah. But, um, I think the other half of that is what does your advancement? What does that XP give you? Mm-hmm. Oh, it gives me more ways to murder. Doesn't give me more ways to socialize. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make me better at socializing. I'm level thirteen now. I have level six spells. That I means s- I can cast chain lightning twice today. But I'm still only plus four. 
to persuasion. Mm-hmm. That has never changed. From day one, I am still just as persuasive as I was. Unless I use magic. Unless I use magic, yep. Well, to be fair, your proficiency modifier does go up from two to seven, so you will eventually be five higher than you were before, at max level. But but the thing is, is that that progresses equally. Mm-hmm. There's no benefit for me in... How did I get better at persuasion? I murdered things. Yep. It had nothing to do with me being persuasive. Yep. I just suddenly got better at persuasion by murdering things silently. Yep. That is that is un, that is unintended consequences. All right. So Kilkey asks. Hey Kilkey. Hi Kilkey. Uh, uh, in my opinion, the first consideration in how to play is the mechanization uh, uh, mechanization of characters. Mm-hmm. What are the systems bound? Oh, mechanization as in mechanical. Okay, gotcha. Um, what are the systems boundaries for presenting? characters and i think this is kind of brings us back to that whole mouse guard design yeah is that in the framework of how you present your character you are defining narrative aspects Mm -hmm. not numbered mechanical aspects yeah in in vampire the masquerade again you're giving yourself a narrative aspect that has a mechanical consequence within the framework of the world yeah, and uh, like I think we we always keep coming back to Mouse Guard. I actually love character creation in Mouse Guard mm-hmm. um, because it kind of goes through. Uh, it's not it's not quite a life path system, but it is multiple different components of your characters, like where you were born, where you were brought up, mm-hmm. what your special interests were, what job you have in the guard, how old your character is. Mm-hmm. Um, all kind of our components that all compile up to the sum total of your character. Yeah. Um. And, you know, even playing like a tender paw, you know, you'd think, well, why do I want to play the, the youngest and least experienced member of a patrol? Mm-hmm. Well, you've got a lot of really great advantages. Mm-hmm. Your health is amazing. Mm-hmm. Your nature is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, so doing things like running and hiding and foraging and stuff like that. You can is, tap that all you want. Oh, absolutely. You can you can roll that all day. But like the old grizzled long in the teeth characters, like your character and my character, mm-hmm. you know, Okay, sure, we've got a higher like willpower and stuff like that, but like my 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 uh body score or something like mm-hmm. that is pre- pretty low. Mm-hmm. Nature's okay, you know. Yeah. I've got like more circles, more more resources and whatnot, but like the young whippersnappers have a lot of advantages on me. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have as many skills, but yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of ways in which playing a uh, playing a tender paw is very advantageous. Mm-hmm. Exceptionally so. Exceptionally mm-hmm. so. Um, and that's all played out. That's all played out in the mechanics. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, so then, akin to that, uh, attributes, skills, talents, and equipment are the usual aspects, but there is a large variety in their individual number and effect. Does a system also give options for character flaws or weaknesses, or is it about ever growing empowerment? So I think this is where the the life path kind of game flow presents itself differently Mm -hmm. in the sense that advancement once you get to this point where you are in this moment of the character's life you're kind of at a frozen point your progression is much slower than that existence up to that your creation of said character if you will so that's why when you look at something like D&D it's it's almost awkward to think 
how much progression you can have in in a month, mm-hmm. right? Like your background, your history, all these things brought you up to this point where you're this kid or grizzled old person or something, and then suddenly a month of hanging out with four other dudes and you're all badasses. You are calling lightning down from the heavens and asking favors from various gods. Yeah. Right, but it doesn't make sense why this just suddenly happened at this point in your mm-hmm. life, you know, at this break in your existence, whereas a lot of other games pen it as this is a moment in your life. Yeah, yeah. The next moment in your life is going to be slightly different, but it's not like you're going to jump by leaps and bounds. Right, right. And I think in that sense, games that do include flaws and weaknesses that can be purchased after the fact or that compound on top of your existence. Um, I'm thinking of games that include um, things like injuries. Like, for instance, if you take a critical injury in some games, it actually creates a permanent weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't heal from it. Uh, I think the One Ring actually has that in it, if I'm thinking correctly, um, to kind of depict uh, Frodo getting stabbed. Yeah, that like, makes sense. Like, you chose to take a failing to succeed. Like, you survived. But because of that, you grew, and within that, have an, a permanent injury. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a li- that is a life-changing event. And I, I, dare, I dare say the system allows for it. Okay, because encourages like, it. So just keep keep you know uh, uh, keep in mind like Dungeons and Dragons. All right, mm-hmm. we've talked about how it's very combat heavy, how it's pass or fail, and that creates a system where optimis- optimal play is at a paramount. Mm-hmm. Because if you aren't succeeding, you literally aren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So, in that, if you took a permanent injury. That is a permanent knock against your character's efficiency. And since there's little else to do than be efficient in combat, that directly hits the amount of fun you're having with your character. Correct. Okay? Whereas a narrative-heavy system like the One Ring, mm-hmm. which encourages uh, a wider variety of character growth, it mm-hmm. focuses more on the total fellowship that you're in, the ad- the overall adventures, the ups and the downs mm-hmm. of those adventures, okay? You walk away with that permanent injury, and it almost starts feeling like a war trophy, mm-hmm. you know? It's a scar you want to show off of, like, oh, yeah, we walked away from that orc ambush, but I got this to show for it, you know, as you yeah. hike up your shirt and yeah. show them the, the stab wound in the side that's barely scabbed over, you know? Right, right. And and that that becomes part of your character's narrative because there's not so much focus on like oh I don't want to have a minus one to this because it's not critical. Mm-mm. It's not critical that you have a minus one to that thing. I mean, okay, we'd rather not have a minus one to that thing permanently, mm-hmm. obviously. But at the same time, like, is the minus one something that affects the gameplay or something that you can bring into gameplay, and it presents? an opportunity at that point. Exactly. Those are the games that add flaws and weaknesses that give a benefit. Mm -hmm. And I, I 100% accept those and love them. I love that seven C gave the option of being, you could be star crossed, meaning that lovers of a challenging nature are going to come in and out of your life and cause havoc. Mm hmm. What that does is present you options to the story, to alter the story. Yep. And that creates more drama. Mm-hmm. 
a natural, meritable component of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think if we want to get you a definitive answer, I know we've danced around it a lot, and we've given a, a very complete answer here, but I think that if you want to get to the core of, like, whether a system gives options of character flaws and weaknesses, or if it's just about ever-growing emp- uh, empowerment, just really depends on what you're trying to get out of the system. Are mm-hmm. you trying to play a system where the key goal of it is to indulge a power fantasy? Mm-hmm. Then ever growing empowerment. Then it's a curve. Then it's a curve. Yep. Um, if you're if you're looking to explore a character as a complete person and tell a more grounded human story, then I think you really want those flaws and weaknesses because I think those are the most interesting things about people. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, guys, we've beat this one into the ground. Yep. Let's get on to let's hear next week's topic. We're going to be talking about adult themes, not what you think. It's February. Um, we are going into we are going into February, and we will get there. It is a red month. Except ex- expect the fact that the next few shows are going to get PG thirteen spicy. PG thirteen. <laughs> not we're not going to get rated R, but we will. But we will go PG thirteen with them because yes. it's February, and this, this is our last February, so we're, we're, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Uh, but so. We're going to start off a little bit light. We're going to be talking about adult themes, um, and uh, talking not about sex or romance necessarily but all of those things that kind of um would put that pg-13 or r-rated label on it if it were a piece of media you know and we're not we're not talking about the theme of horror or the theme of 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 terror but dealing with loss grief Mm -hmm. depression even death you Mm -hmm. know and not just like oh heroic death he died fighting but like those moments where you hold a funeral for a character mm-hmm. and really dig into what their impact on your life was that has players crying at the table, you know, mm-hmm. running those types of scenes. So we or, want to kind of dig into, like, how to do those yeah. what's, and, and how to do them effectively, mm-hmm. how to do them safely. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of the tools that are already out there we've discussed in the past, but not so much the tools, but just as a storyteller accepting these themes from your players and making sure that everyone can be part of them and uh and move through them and and what other systems what like nordic rpgs tell us are good ways to manage that energy um and uh and what the what the 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 end of a session like that can be Mm -hmm. and how you can move through it so all right, guys, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us upon our Discord. We'd love to uh, hear from you there. Shoot us some questions. Uh, talk to the other great storytellers that are up there. You can find the link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who support us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, Hulavu, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Motion. We appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on uh, YouTube music. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on YouTube music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always for our families, Vicky and Sean. Thanks so much for Thank loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat at our tables over the years to give these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys love so you guys. much. Good night. Good night.